0: It's, it's such a privilege to speak on the book of Matthew. And I think about five weeks ago, we introduced the book of Matthew in the Matthew overview, right? So in this service, you would have heard Pastor Chu speak. Um, and I wanna cover just, just touch on uh, the overview just a little bit. And it's this, all right? So this slide um, is the overview of, of, of Matthew. So we've got the first, the background of Matthew. Uh, What's the background of Matthew? Matthew was a book written to the Jews. First to the Jews, second to the Gentiles, right? But it doesn't mean Gentiles are second in importance. We're still equally important, all right? Uh, It's a manual for discipleship. So if you want to follow Jesus, you want to know how to follow Jesus, you want to know what is discipleship? Book of Matthew, all right? Read this whole book, or at least come to the pulpit and listen to the whole book of Matthew. Uh, uh, That's the manual for discipleship. And then we move to chapter one to chapter four. That is the purpose of Matthew. Why was Matthew written? Again, discipleship, all right? Uh, 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 And then, of course, Matthew closes with the purpose of Matthew again. Therefore, uh, go into all the worlds and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the last part is very important, teaching them to obey every commandment that I tell you, right? So discipleship, if you ask, what is discipleship? And you have no clue, you have so many definitions, first definition, follow Jesus. Second definition, obey every command Jesus have taught you, all right? So that's the purpose of Matthew. And then we come to the black columns, the chunks, the meat, the steak, the why you steak of the book of Matthew, yeah? And the steak can be cut into five pieces, all right? So tonight, if you're having steak for dinner, cut it into five pieces. You're eating the first piece, you say, hey, first piece is kingdom life. Second piece is kingdom mission, kingdom growth, kingdom community, and kingdom future. Where are we in the book of Matthew? We are right here. You are just beginning the, the kingdom life. What is kingdom life? The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, all right? So we are starting the kingdom life, well, uh, at least I'm starting the kingdom life uh, uh, today, and there's going to be a whole series of preaching on the Sermon of the Mount. So I, I believe it's going to be so blessed. Are we ready? Are we ready to go into the meat? All right, we are. Kingdom life. We're gonna straight in, gonna go straight in. I'm gonna first explain the whole Sermon of the Mount. So I explain the first cut of your why you steak. Okay, the first cut. Uh, some of you are looking at what is why you steak? Okay, let's steak. Okay, Malaysian beef is okay. Malaysian beef. Okay. Um. Uh, uh, I'm gonna explain the first cut. The whole big chunk, Matthew five to seven, all right. So that's uh, uh, three chapters right there. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna talk about it in great detail. But why? What is the whole purpose of the Sermon of the Mount? What, what is the reason, and how did Matthew write the Sermon of the Mount? Okay, and then I'm gonna zoom into the Beatitudes, Matthew five, chapter three to eleven. The Sermon of the Mount starts with the Beatitudes. Why did Matthew start with the Beatitudes, okay? You know, sometimes I wish I have a a, a series because there's so much. There's so much research on this. I'm so excited to say it, all right? And then I'm going to zoom in. That's going to be my sermon. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Now, the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. This is the first words that Jesus said in the book of Matthew. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Now I know the sermon of the mount starts at chapter five, but a lot of theologians and, and and commentaries and academic scholars believe that the sermon, the introduction to the sermon of the mount, actually starts in Matthew four, chapter seventeen, because the introduction tells you and sums up the whole sermon of the mount, and it's this: repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now in the book of Matthew, the first words out of Jesus's mouth after he was uh, uh, after the Holy Spirit in the, in a the form of a dove landed upon him right after his baptism is repent. That is in the book of Matthew, repent. But in the book of Luke, if you study the Synoptic Gospels, it is not repent, but it is Isaiah 61, which is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me today to preach the good news to people and to proclaim the year of favor upon the people. That's how Luke opens it. I'm going to explain why is there a difference between the Matthew account and the Luke account and the first words that Jesus has said, Okay but that's the sermon of the mount. And now we go to Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And I truly believe that every single word in the Bible is important. And every single word of the Bible has meaning. And every single word of the Bible is not just there to make us read two more sentences, right? There's always an intentional purpose on why God put that word in the Bible. And if you read the first two verses of the book of, Matthew, of chapter 5, uh, you will see that, hmm, what is the meaning? And I'm going to explain. It's, the words are in yellow. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Two yellow words. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying... Now, The the word here, disciples, is methetes. Now, when we hear the word disciples, we always think the 12 apostles of Jesus, the 12 disciples of Jesus, right? But I want to clarify, the word disciples here does not refer to the 12 disciples of Jesus because if you read the book of Matthew, at that point of time, there was no 12 disciples of Jesus. It was only, I think, three at the time that were actually confirmed to follow Jesus. So there's no 12. What does this word disciples mean? The word disciples, methetes, means is anybody that who would follow Jesus, and today, this morning, I want to say to the second service, if you follow Jesus, you, you fall under this category, a disciple of Christ, all right? Mountainside. Why did God put the word mountainside here? What is Matthew trying to say when he starts the book of, uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount with these two verses? You know, in Jewish times, in Jewish culture, Mountains are very important. Actually, now these days, mountains are still very important, right? You see all the churches and the temples on the mountains, right? And you always wonder, why why are all the religious uh, uh, buildings up on the mountainside? Okay, you visit Peace Haven and you find out. Okay, that is a snippet. Okay, if you have not visited Peace Haven, invite you on one of the Wednesdays or, or, or Fridays, okay? Now, Jesus went to the mountainside. If you study the seven times Jesus went to the mountainside in the book of Matthew, you will realize that all seven times are very important times. I'm only gonna name one, the transfiguration of Jesus. When Jesus went up to the mountainside, He took His three closest disciples, and then God showed, showed the three disciples the glory and the splendor of Jesus Christ. And God Himself was there up on the mountain. And it's always this, there is a great belief that up on the mountainside is where man meets God. That's why in the, in, the book of, uh, in the book of Samuel, da- King David wanted to build his temple on the mountainside. Remember? Remember Psalms 1 to 1 when it was said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help comes from? Okay, I'm giving you a snippet of my other sermon. Where does my help comes from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Why did David say, lift up your eyes to the hills? Because when everybody in Israel, because it's a flat plain, right? We have to remember Israel is a flat plain, right? Um, when every time somebody lifts up their eyes to the hills, there's only one hill and there's only one thing up on that hill, the temple of God. So when you lift up your eyes to the hill, you see the temple of God, you're you are, you are at peace. There's joy, right? And then God says, that's where your help comes from. It's from God. That's why the temple of David is always on the mountainside. SIBKL, next building is going to be on the mountainside. Amen? Okay, I don't know. I don't know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right, um, okay, that's why mountainside. Because Matthew wants to tell you, hey, when you hear a man of God preach from a mountainside, there is always that connection between him and God, and there is authority. He preaches from authority. And then it says, Jesus, at the mountainside, Jesus sat down. Why did he sit down? What is so important to know that Jesus sat down to preach? It's because in those days, when Jewish rabbis preach, they preach sitting down. Just so you know, the seat of Moses is where the rabbis would pronounce judgment and would declare the word of God to the people in the synagogues. That's called the seat of Moses. Or in the New Testament times, it's called the seat of mercy. That's why when you read Revelations and you see the seat of mercy, the throne of mercy, that is where God sits. And then he pronounced judgment at the second coming. Because when you are a rabbi and a teacher of the law, you sit down this is where I get my chair and sit down now. Where's my chair? Somebody, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, you sit down, all right? So, of course, I don't know. I don't consider myself a rabbi, which is why I'm standing. But that is why the word sat down was there. To tell all of us, to tell the readers of the book of Matthew that this man is no ordinary man. He's a man of authority. He speaks from the mountainside and he speaks sitting down. And lastly, he began to teach them in the KJV, teach them is translated as open his mouth to teach them. And now that whole sentence there in the Jewish language or in the Hebrew language is important because it means that he speaks on behalf of God. He is not just speaking like any other man, just telling you what the, what the rabbi says. He's not any other man that tells you, you know, my, my rabbi Chi Chi said this, so I'm now telling you this. No, no, no. No, no, he says, I have heard directly from God, and now I'm telling you as a mouthpiece from God. That is what it means when he began to open his mouth to teach them. And the whole opening of the Sermon of the Mount is to tell all the Jewish readers and now Gentile readers that is this: Jesus is a person of authority. The Sermon of the Mount is applicable to only his disciples who would follow Him and His disciples acknowledge that Jesus is the ultimate authority. And that is why the Sermon on the Mount ends with this, because he, thought, he taught as one who had authority. And that's why in Matthew chapter 28, it ends this way, and all authority in heaven on earth was given to Christ Jesus. And now, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations. So if we are disciples of Christ, this morning, you've got two choices, two choices only. The Sermon of the Mount says, it's either you crown King Jesus and give Him all the authority of your life, or He's none at all. It's either He is Lord of all, or He's none at all. This morning, the first challenge is this. Are we willing to open up our hearts and say, Jesus, speak to me this morning. Tell me the Word of God. Let me tremble at your feet. Give you authority to come into my heart of hearts and pierce the darkness that I've not opened up for the last 60 years of my life. Come in and change me from the inside out. I give you permission. I give you authority. And my prayer is that when you leave this sanctuary this morning, you would feel that transformation inside. Nobody would know your secret in this place. Trust me, nobody knows your deepest, darkest secrets in this place because we don't want to know. I don't want to know. The moment I know, I feel a sense of responsibility to pray for you and to journey with you. No, and I cannot. Imagine all 800 of you, you know, come to me and tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. But I guarantee you, if you open it up, there's only one person that would know. Pastor Chu, no, 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 no. There's only one person that would know. Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit. And your deepest, darkest secrets, if the Holy Spirit knows, He will journey with you and you will journey with Jesus and you would be a better person. Because when the Sermon of the Mount and you read all the requirements of His disciples, uh, uh, when you don't say oaths, don't commit a adultery. Fast and pray this way, right? Uh, you be the salt and the light of the earth. The, 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 the seven, eight, or nine beatitudes, right? Uh, and then you've got a how to pray to, to God. When you see all these things, you think these are the list of do's and don'ts, and this is why I hate Christianity. It's always about the list of do's and don'ts. And this morning, before I end, and I want to do justice to the Sermon on the Mount, when you read the whole three chapters, you'll change your mindset, it is not about the do's and don'ts to get into the kingdom. It is not. It is once you are in the kingdom, it is the do's and don'ts to display the glory and the majesty of God to people around you, right? Why do we not commit adultery? Why do we fast? Why do we pray? Why are we salt and light? It is not because I am a better Christian, you know. I. Oh, wow, hey, I'm the, my salt is more salty than you. When my non-Christian lick my hand, wow, salty. When a non-Christian lick your hand blend. No, 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 it's no such thing. When a non-Christian look at my life, oh, I shine so bright, green lantern, right? <laughs> Anyways, when a non-Christian look at you, the light not so bright, it's only a small little candle. No, 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 it's not to compare. It is so that in every single one of us, we are all measured differently by Christ. We are all on a different journey of Christ. When a non-Christian looks at your life, they go, oh my goodness, this is what the kingdom of God looks like, and I want to be a part of that kingdom. That is exactly what the Sermon of the Mount is. And this morning, I want to say, hey, don't be afraid of the do's and don'ts. Look at the do's and don'ts and say, look at yourself and say, I I cannot do this, but I need you, King Jesus. Amen, church? And that is why the Sermon of the Mount is all about God's authority on your life, because He can only work in your life if you have given Him that authority. Do you give Him that authority this morning? Sermon of the Mount. And I want to zoom in now to the Beatitudes. So, the, so after chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2, Matthew starts with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is this. So I'm going to, I summarized it into two columns. The Beatitudes all starts on column left, which is blessed. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, mourn, who, who is meek, who is righteous, who is merciful, pure at heart, who are peacemakers, who are persecuted. So you are blessed if you do X. And the blessing comes with a promise you are also uh, blessed because you have the kingdom of heaven, you are comforted, you inherit the earth, you are satisfied, blah, 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 all right? So these are the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes can be divided into three chunks. Now, if you read certain theological books, you read commentaries, uh, um, there is no consensus in the academic world on whether there's seven Beatitudes or eight or nine, or whether it's two chunks or three chunks, right? But from my perspective and all the books that I've read, I like three chunks, okay? it starts with a vertical relationship between man and God, the first four, all right? Which means to say, if you cannot be the first four, don't think you can be merciful. Because only when you're meek and you're righteous, only when you have, you're poor in spirit and you can mourn for your sins or mourn for, 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 for people, it's only then you can be merciful. It is only then you can be pure at heart. It's only then you can go in, into an argument and be a peacemaker. Right? So you need to have a right vertical relationship with God first. And then comes the horizontal active relationship. Active means that I have to do it for someone else. Merciful means I have to be merciful to someone else. Peacemaker means I have to make the peace with someone else. And then comes the horizontal passive relationship. Passive means I'm a Christian, I sit here, but the whole world wants to persecute me. The whole world wants to insult me because I'm Christian. At my workplace, I'm the only Christian at my workplace. And everybody makes fun of me because I'm a Christian. Everybody makes fun of me because I pray before I I, I eat my lunch, for example, right? Everybody wants me. So I'm passive. And the only way you can withstand persecution, the only way you can smile back at them, the only way you can bless the people who insult you and pray for their souls and say, hey, brother or sister, I know that you're making fun of me, you're shaming me, you are trying to put me down, but at the end of the day, I see you and I don't see the man that you are, I see the soul that God wants to save and I'm still going to pray for you. And you can only do that if you have the first four right. And the first four is epitomized by the first one, poor in spirit. If you are not poor in spirit, don't hope that you can mourn. Be meek, be righteous. And that's why I feel a sense of great responsibility this whole weekend to preach on the first beatitude. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that I do justice to your word. Poor in spirit, that's the beatitude. And now I want to zoom in to what it means to be poor in spirit. Okay? Blessed are, those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know there are so many sermons preached on this beatitude. There's so many sermons preached on poor in spirit. And the whole, at least three weeks, I've been praying, God, give me a word for your church. This is care, we are unique. We are special. Give us a special word for this church. So I pray, Father God, that uh, uh, you use me this morning to speak your word specifically for this church. And I want to talk about three things. Number one, how are we blessed? So as Christians, we all want to know how we are blessed. Okay, we, we, hey, we're here for the blessings. I'm, or at least I like to be blessed, right? I don't want to be persecuted. My whole entire life, I don't want to be a prophet Jeremiah that cries his whole entire life, or prophet Isaiah that you know is in captivity and sees all the de- devastation. I I would like to think that you know I am, I am. I was gonna say John the Baptist, but then he got beheaded. So <laughs> I was like maybe I choose another prophet. And then I was I was thinking Peter, but he got he got crucified upside down. <laughs> I was thinking John that he got sent to the island of Patmos to live his last days. I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't choose a prophet in the Bible. I will be like, I want to be like Pastor Chew, you know, live until 80 years old, 90 years old, right? Blessed life. Okay, that's the prophet I want to be. Okay, how how are we blessed in the kingdom? All right, what does it mean to be blessed? What is this kingdom? So you've got to know the definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not mean X or Y or Z to anybody's fancier. It's properly defined in the Bible. Or what does it mean, to, uh, the kingdom of God? So I want to define it first, and then I want to explain to the church, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And I'll close with this. After I tell you all the what's, I want to tell you the how. Practical application. How can we be poor in spirit? There's no point knowing, 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 but we don't know how to be poor in spirit. Is it, amen, church? Excellent. Okay, I'm going to be freed from my slides. And now you have to listen to me for the next 20 minutes without visual aid. Okay? All right. How are we blessed? You know, in this life, um, especially if you are 35, younger, I'm 35, which is why I said 35, um, especially if you are 35 years and younger, you will be on social media, you'll be on Instagram. If you are 35 and older and you have an Instagram account, I clap hands for you, kudos, because you probably are better than me. You may have more followers than me. You know, I went to a a, a very young uh, youth I uh, was invited to, to, to speak at a youth uh, 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 one day, and I came in, and I was so proud of myself. I was like, hey, I'm on Instagram, guys. You know, I, I'm one of you, right? Uh, and then they looked at my account. 200 followers. Are you kidding me? Right? That's it? Right? And they laughed at my face, and I'm like, what? what? Two, 200 is not too bad. You know, I have 200 friends. This, this is not too bad. I pat myself on the back. Then I looked at their Instagram followers. 2,000 people following you? 5,000? I'm like, what? I'm like, do you even know 5,000 people? They're like, I don't need to know. They just want to know about my life. I'm like, wow, okay. You are 14 and they want to know about your life. Interesting. Okay, uh, what times are we living in? But there is something in the Instagram world called a hashtag, all right? When you hashtag something, all the pictures that you hashtag it with will go into this one account, all right? And there's a hashtag called hashtag blessed. I'm blessed. Hashtag I am blessed. Hashtag blessed. And in the whole world, when you look, go in later on into your social media feed, go and just Google hashtag blessed. And you will see the amount of things people think that this is the blessing from God. I have a promotion this week. Hashtag blessed. I get to eat ramen this week instead of McDonald's. Hashtag blessed. Right? I, uh, I got a new car this week, a Golf GTI. Hashtag blessed. Right? Um, uh, my pastor prayed for me and say hello to me this morning. Hashtag blessed. Right? Um, I got a new shirt this morning and my and my and the girl that I liked finally acknowledged that I exist in this life. Hashtag blessed. Right? Um, oh my wife in the morning when I woke up, she kissed me good morning, and she promised me that she will always do the laundry, she would always wash up the dishes uh, for me, she would always clean the house. Hashtag blessed. That was my post right for my wife, right? That was, that was my, my post. Right? Just uh, just hashtag blessed. That's how I feel blessed, babe, just so you know. <laughs> Tonight, if I don't have a room to stay, I'm staying with, with Fergus or Pastor Chu. okay? Um, okay, but hashtag blessed. How does the world define blessed? The world defines blessed by the things that we get, right? By, by the, the food that we have on the table, the clothes that we wear, the food that... that not in this, or at least in the in First World country, I define KL as First World country, right? Or at least um, in the city, it's no longer about whether we have food to eat, right? It's about what kind of food you eat, right? And then, if you go to another social strata, if you're a socialite, it's no longer about what kind of food you eat, right? The lesser the food on your plate, with more decorations than the food itself, you are hashtag blessed. <laughs> okay, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> I just found out that lately by, because I know a socialite, right? It's, like, it's not about the food, it's about the decoration around the food. I'm like, but I came to eat, people. <laughs> Anyways, I'm from Sarawak, so I came to eat. I don't understand about this decoration thing. Um, right? We define it that way, and I want to be very clear. God wants to bless you in material things. Don't, don't, get it, don't get me wrong. God wants you to be comfortable. He wants, He knows that if He gives you this amount of money, you will follow him the rest of his life. He knows that he gives you this less amount of money, you would follow him. And he knows that if he gives you more, you can handle more. So today, this morning, it's not about how rich you are materially. It's not about how poor you are materially, but it's about your spirit. And to be blessed in the kingdom, God says, how do you know what is the kingdom of God? Romans, 14, chapter, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says this, and he defined, Paul defines the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink. That's my favorite verse to say to all the socialites out there, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not about, I'm just kidding. I love the socialites, by the way. My, one of my good friends is, right? It's not about meat or drink. It's not about the quality of meat or quality of drink that you're drinking, but the kingdom of God is about righteousness, joy, and peace, And that is how you know you belong in the kingdom of God. If you have righteousness, joy, and peace, that is a huge thing. Because the kingdom of God says, God is a holy God. He's a perfect God. We are a sinful creature. We don't belong in the kingdom of God. But you know you are blessed when Jesus Christ crowns you with His righteousness and says, even though you are sinful, I clothe you in a white robe. I clothe you with my righteousness, Jesus Christ, and I invite you into the presence of God, into the King of Kings, in the courts of the King of Kings. Just imagine you're walking into a grand palace and you're walking into the court of the King of Kings and the King of Kings says, even though you have sinned 1,549 times in your whole entire lifetime, I will still love you. Come, I accept you into my presence. Be with me. Commune with me. And then if you think the kingdom of God is not about meat and drink, Psalms 23 just says it all. I will prepare a feast for you at the end of days. Revelations tells you, I will prepare a banquet for you in the halls of the eternal life. So don't worry. If you, if you have not enough to eat on this life, just follow Jesus. At the next life, you'll have a lot to eat, okay? That's righteousness because he says, I don't want you to worry about the material things in this life. Come into the presence of God and then I will give you everything you need. Seek ye first the, right, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and all these things will be added on to you. Just so you know, chapter Matthew 6, 33-34, may not refer to this life. Because we always think, right? I want to seek you first, God. All these things will be added on to me. So I want riches in this world. What do I do? I seek ye first. And God says, hey, that's raw motivation. It could mean after life. Seek you first, all the righteousness of God, and all these things will be added on to you. It could also mean now, but there's also a not yet. It could all mean that your mansion in heaven will be a little bit bigger. So if you want a detached house, Seek more of His righteousness, okay? You want to be, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Pastor Chu is like, what? And I'm like, no. Okay, that is blessed. To be in the kingdom of God is to have His righteousness, His joy, and His peace. You know, Pastor Chu always says this, he closed the first service with this, and I, I, I want to say this because I love this statement. He says, you could be the richest man on earth, but you have no joy when you sleep at night. No peace when you sleep at night. Likewise, you could be the poorest man on earth, you could still have no joy and peace when you sleep at night just so you know. If you're the poorest man, you have no peace because you're thinking, how can I be richer? I'm so envious of all the rich people. I, I cannot go on these holidays. I I can only eat from the Pasar malam. I want to eat I want to eat in the, in Shangri-La hotel. You know, I'm also envious. I hate all the rich people and you are rich. You could have all the problems in life as well, and there's no joy and peace. And God is saying, hey, church, church, that is not hashtag blessed. If you really want to be hashtag blessed, you wake up in the morning, you post yourself sleeping and go, I have the deepest sleep seven hours last night. Hashtag blessed, right? Because of Jesus Christ. Because I am blessed by Him. And I love this definition by one specific commentator or or theologian when he defined the word blessed. He says, you are blessed when the favour of God is upon you. Now, that is exactly why the Luke Gospel starts with Isaiah 61. uh, Jesus said, I am appointed and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to pronounce the year of favour upon the people of Israel or upon us all. Favour, favour favor. Luke starts with God pronouncing favor. Matthew starts with the word blessed. They mean the same thing. Makarios. Favor of God. Makarios. It just means that God's favor goes before you. God's favor is upon you. Whatever decisions you want to make in life, whether you take this car loan or take that car loan or change jobs to this company or that company or whether you have one baby or two babies or whether you want uh, this or that in life, everything is moot It does not matter if God's favour is not upon your life and I want God's favor upon my life. If I don't have to upgrade my car, if I have God's favor, I feel I'm happy and I'm blessed. If I get to upgrade my car and God says, I bless you and I give you favor with this new car, I'm still blessed and I'm still favored by God. And I'm telling you this, and every time in my own prayer life, in my personal prayer life, when I'm praying for change, when I'm praying for season, when I'm praying for plans, when I'm praying for direction, when I'm praying for family, when I'm praying for everything in my life, ministry, the leader, that are under me, when I'm praying for everything, I always end with saying, Jesus, if my prayer does not please you, do not answer my prayers. But if my prayer please you, may your favor rest upon me and give me rest because your presence is what I desire. That's all that it matters to me. If you don't make me a rich man, if you don't make me a powerful man, if you don't make me an influential man, I am nothing in this life, but your favor still rests upon me, I will still Instagram it and go blessed. I still feel blessed. And that's my prayer. And that's my prayer for all of you as well. That you want to be blessed, the favor of God rests upon you. And you will have righteousness, joy, and peace in the kingdom of God. We are that kingdom of God. Amen, church? That's my prayer when you leave this sanctuary this morning. But the big question, or should I even say, the bigger question is, God says and God gives you a stipulation on how to be blessed. See, in the Luke account, he did not. Luke does not start with, How do you be blessed? Luke just says, God is here, God wants to give you favor. That's great, that's Luke. But in the Matthew accounts, he says, God wants to give you favor, but there is a stipulation, there is a clause. The clause is this You need to be poor in spirit. That is how you know you are blessed. You are poor in spirit. He does not say anything else. There's no other condition. You are blessed and you are welcomed in the kingdom of God if you are poor in spirit. And this morning, I want to define what is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means this. It is not our definition of poor. I'm including myself in all this. Our definition of poor in KL is, oh, oh, um, I cannot uh, 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 upgrade my phone to the latest Samsung or Huawei P- P30. I must be Poor right? I cannot upgrade my phone because my, my, my colleague has upgraded all their phone to the latest iPhone, but I'm still on iPhone 7. I must be very poor, right? I, I have not bought my own house and I'm, so this is young adult problems, right? I have not bought my own house and I'm already 32 years old, but all my other colleagues have bought two houses at 35 and they're so successful and their, their houses are earning money for them because that's passive income and then they have active income. Oh my goodness, I am so poor in comparison to them. And God says, hey, get yourself out of your first world problems. That is not the definition of poor. Why? Because poor in spirit was actually taken from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 66 verse 2. It is actually an exilic language because the Jews were exiled. They're not in Jerusalem at that point. They were were exiled into Babylon, which means they were slaves. So it's actually a slave language. It's an exilic language. Exile, right? Exilic language, if if, if you can catch that, right? It means this. And Isaiah 62 means this. God's favor is upon you for those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Oh, there's another clause in Isaiah. And trembles at the word of God. I repeat. God's favor is upon you if you are humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at the word of God. That is poor in spirit. It just means this. We think, right? Again, I have to repeat. You could be rich in this life, very, very rich. You could have 20 houses until there's no more houses left in KL to buy. You could own all the houses, you could own the whole estate. Or you could be very, very poor. Like you don't even know how to pay for the next meal on your table. That's how poor you could be. And God still says, in both cases, it's not the material that I'm looking at. I'm looking at your heart. I'm looking at your spirit. You could be rich, but are you poor in spirit? You could be poor, but are you poor in spirit? And poor in spirit means this. When, it, when Israel was in slavery to Babylon or the Assyrians or even to Egypt, when Israel was in slavery, the masters had absolute control over their lives. And just mind you, it's the whole nation of Israel in slavery. Eh? It's, just not, it's not a faction. It's not just the Fuchs that are in slavery. Eh? It's like, oh, these fuchaos must work harder, so let's just make them slaves, right? Uh, or, or it's not just the, the Cantonese that are in slavery. It's, no, it's the whole nation of Israel. Can you just imagine this whole nation, this whole SIBK we're in slavery, we're, we're in slaves to our masters, for example, all right? That's the language that, 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 that Matthew wants to draw from. And when you are a slave, you have no rights your gifts makes no difference. If the master tells you make brick make bricks without straw, you have to make bricks without straw otherwise they take your children away and kill them in the river Nile. And I'm telling you now, if you're a parent and, and your master says, make bricks without straw, otherwise I take your child out and I drown him in the river now, I believe every single parent in this place will stand up and says, how do I make bricks without straw? Let's do it if it takes my whole life to make bricks without straw. And I believe so. And that's exactly what God is trying to tell us. You have nothing when you come into the kingdom of God. You are absolutely nothing. You are poor. You are destitute. You are, ap- you are zero in your whole life when you come before God. You have no rights when you come before God. You know, we Christians, we think we have so much rights when we come before God, right? I have all the rights in the world to come before God because I come to church every Sunday. This is my right. right? When I come to church, it must mean I am before God, right? Or I have all the rights to come before God because I pray five times a week. I have that right. God, I pray five times a week, show up in my life. Come, I want to pray for healing for this guy. You must heal. Because I've prayed five times a week. We come to God with all our rights. We come to God with all our worthiness. And then sometimes we even use the gospel to justify our worthiness. God, I'm sinful this week, but because I know what Jesus has done for me on that cross, you have forgiven me, and therefore I come before you. Well, as if, as if, well, as if you come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and His holy presence, just like no man's business, as if it's your right, you are born with it that, you know. No, that's not poor in spirit. And God is saying the only way to get into the kingdom of heaven, the only way to display the kingdom life to people is that you are poor and you have absolutely nothing. You have no rights. You have no gifts. You are not worthy. Your righteousness are like filthy rags before God. Filthy rags before God. You know, I don't know about you, but I am not prone to dirtiness, just so you know. I'm like, oh, this rag is dirty. First of all, problems, right? Oh. Dirty. Wife cleaned it up. No, no, no. <laughs> no, right? I don't, I, basically, I'm just telling you, I don't like filthy rags. I don't, because I think it's dirty, there's fungus on it, and I'm, I ain't going to washing it. I'd rather buy a $2 new one rather than wash this one, okay? That's me and my life. I just, I can do a lot of things in my life. I can be poor in a lot of things, just I don't like dirtiness, okay? My wife is the exact opposite. That's why it's funny for the both of us. It's, it's, it's just a private joke. And I'm like, throw it away. She's like, no. I'm like, throw it away. She's like, no, we can still wash it. I'm like, by the time you wash it and all the dirtiness and grossness, it already costs you two bucks, and you know, all the water and the, and the soap and everything. It cost, and my time to wash it is two bucks already, you know? I must just, and then, okay, source of argument. PMCs, we need counseling. Okay, poor, back to the topic, poor in spirit. And that is the attitude God wants us to come into the heaven, uh, into his presence, to be poor in spirit. Now, what is the opposite of poor in spirit? You'd be surprised. It's not rich in spirit. God is not asking you to be rich in spirit. By the way, we can never be rich in spirit. What is poor in spirit? And I draw a chart here. There's five spirits that I felt is the absolute opposite of being poor in spirit. It's the self-sufficient spirit. What is a self-sufficient spirit? It's you are a self-made man. God, I was so poor, you know, when I was 18 years old. But I started my business from scratch. I went to this bank. He don't want to give me a loan because I have nothing to my name. I went to my family. They also don't want to give me money because they see me, I'm not worth it. But I started my business and now my business is earning multi-millions every single year. My revenue is in the eight digits and the nine digits. I made my business from scratch all by myself. What can you do for me, God? You were never there for me. Why should I give you authority in my life? You were never never there for me. A self-sufficient man says, hey, God, I come to you. I prayed five times a week already. That's enough. Sufficient. That's sufficient because, because that's all I need uh, 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 you in my life. That's sufficient. I says, God, that's enough. God, I worship you uh, 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 30 minutes on a Sunday. Sufficient. Sufficient, God. Don't ask me. Don't ask more from me. I'm sufficient. I don't need you. I only need you in that 30 minutes to come and speak to me. And hopefully, in that 30 minutes, there's an audible voice, booming voice from heaven. This SMCC window open. The light shines upon you and says, my son, my beloved, you know, I loved you from the very beginning. That is what I'm hoping for, but it hasn't happened yet, so I'm still going to come to church. Uh, that's why I come to church every Sunday. Self-sufficient. I can do everything by myself. I don't need you, God. That's the absolute opposite from a poor in spirit. The poor in spirit will say, oh my goodness, God, I can only pray five times and it's still not worthy of You. I can only come to church and this week and I only worship You 30 minutes of my week. I'm not worthy of You because You demanded my whole life, Romans 12, 1. You demanded my whole life to be a living sacrifice, but I only can give You 30 minutes this week. I'm not worthy of You. My business, I made it all by myself. But I know at the back of my head that if without you, I am nothing. Without you, I could do nothing. And this business is because you have granted your favor upon my life. And I'm not going to take you for granted. Self-sufficient spirit versus a humble spirit. A hardened spirit is when we in SIB Care, we see miracles all the time. We see people healed all the time. A hardened spirit says, I don't believe in God who can heal. I only believe in medicine. That is the only way someone can get healed, not by a miracle, a hardened spirit. Even though you see it in your eyes, you still don't believe. And there's a lot of parables in the Bible that people were healed by Jesus. I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And then they just go away. Nothing changes in their lives. Hardened spirit. Your spirit is hardened. I don't believe. I don't believe going to sell every week would change my life. I don't believe going to church every Sunday would ever change my life. I don't believe uh, that this person prayed for me and that person prayed for me would change my life. I don't believe. I don't believe, God. You have a hardened spirit. What's next? A self-authority spirit. I am the king of my life. Don't tell me what to do, God. Don't tell, don't tell me what to do. Don't ask me to surrender my shame that happened To me at 12 years old. Don't expect me to surrender my life to you because I was sexually abused when I was 12 years old. Don't expect to surrender my life to you because last year I was in financial bankruptcy and it's very shameful on me, and nobody should know, nobody should pray for me because then the whole church will know. Nobody, I am the king of my life, and I'm gonna start my business from scratch again. Don't tell me to surrender it to you. I am my authority. Don't tell me to follow you and do XYZ. Don't. Don't tell me to serve extra in church. I only serve uh, 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 in this ministry. I only serve in sales. That's, that's enough. That's enough. I know you're asking me to do more, but when my children have graduated and they're doing good in the thing, and, and then my business is very successful and I'm the boss and I don't have to go to work because money just rolls in for me, then I will think about serving you. You are not the authority. I am the authority. What about a blame spirit? A blame spirit is when something goes wrong in your life, f- whose fault is it first? It's always God's fault first. God, you did not bless me enough. God, I prayed for you so many times. You didn't come through for me. It is your fault. You came through for everybody. You came through for this person, that person, that person. I see that person healed, but God, you didn't heal me. It's your fault. And if God says, excuse me, it's not my fault. And then you says, okay, I know, okay, maybe it's not your fault. Okay, but it's everybody else's fault. It's the church fault, la. They didn't pray for me hard enough, la. When I walk in, the pastor didn't shine his gaze upon me and then gave a God, you speak to that pastor and then the pastor had a word of knowledge upon my life and then suddenly everything thing is honky-dory in my life. Everybody else was fault. this church member was rude to me. This church member didn't give me his seat or her seat. My coffee was not hot enough. I, I wanted 75% of my cup, but they only give me 50%, so I don't have enough caffeine in my system. I cannot function on a Sunday, right? Uh, blame Spirit. Everybody's at fault, right? Everybody's fault. This worship team, oh my goodness, it's too soft, it's too loud. Uh, they didn't play this song that I love. They only play battle songs. I Don't you know I love Hillsong? And then you play Hillsong, don't you know I love Planet Shakers? you play Planet Shakers, don't you know I love all the hymns? John West hymns. that's the only hymns that I'll sing, right? Other, other than that, oh, heretical, heretical, right? Because the hymns are rich in theology and Bethel is just one-line song, right? It repeats. Five minutes, you only sing one line. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. Praise you, Jesus. Enough. Church Sunday's over. Sorry. Bethel Church, I love you. Okay. A blame spirit, right? What's a, blame spirit is everybody's at fault except you. You are the last person at fault. What's a guilt spirit? Everybody is not at fault except you. You are the only one at fault. Everything is your fault. Oh my goodness, I couldn't worship you, God, today because because there were the best songs not playing, so I couldn't worship you. Sorry, sorry, Lord Jesus Christ. It's not their fault. It's my fault. Oh my goodness, I came to church late today because oh it's my fault. I woke up late. I couldn't wake up early because I had to work so much. It's my fault. Oh my goodness, I'm not as righteous as as all the pastors in church because Pastor Lichu asked me to read ten chapters. I can only read nine chapters. Oh, I must be very poor in spirit. Look at me, God. I'm so poor. Oh, I'm so poor. I can only read nine chapters. Everything is your fault. You have a guilt spirit, everything you're condemned, you feel condemned about it. everything that you do in your whole entire life. And, and you blame yourself for everything that you do in your whole entire life. And God is telling you: that is not a poor spirit. That is not poor in spirit. That is a hardened spirit, a self-sufficient, self-authority, blame guilt spirit that you have, that we all have in our life, including me. And God is saying, What is poor in spirit? It's this: you think you are self-sufficient? No, 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 no. Pray this prayer. God, your grace is sufficient for me and that's the only thing that matters in my life. Your grace for me. That's the only thing. God, my spirit is hardened and by the way, just so you know, it's okay if you have a hardened spirit, right? God, don't expect you to be perfect. So don't feel the pressure this morning to be perfect that my spirit has to be the most humble. Don't feel the pressure. If you are in disbelief, if you have in unbelief, if you see a miracle happen and you go, God, I'm skeptical, I'm not too sure if this was from you or it was a coincidence. Because yesterday, this guy went for chemotherapy, and then now you pray for him, he's healed. I'm not too sure if it's your healing hand or it was a chemotherapy. Both, okay? Both. Why can't it be both? All right? Please, if you're sick, see a doctor. Please, if you're sick, see a spiritual doctor. Get them to pray for you. It's both. Humble heart and just say, God, I'm humble before you. I don't know what it means, but I want you to teach me. That's a humble heart. I want you to unharden my heart. Make it soft again. Make it teachable again. That's a humble heart. Self-authority says, King Jesus, you have the authority in in my life. If you tell me to do this, I will do. If you tell me to wake up in the morning and, and I'm so angry at this person for the last 10 years because he cheated me of my money, and God, one day you wake up like me this morning and God says, I want you to forgive that person and you say, King Jesus, you have the authority, I will forgive that person after 10 years because the only person that loses is you, right? Who has the authority in your life? What's the opposite from a blame spirit, a contrite spirit that says, hey, the ugly falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain falls on the righteous and unrighteous. I'm not here to blame people for my situation. I'm just here to worship God. No matter what I'm going through in my life, That is my role as a Christian. That is my role as a child. To just say, thank you, Jesus, for all the good and all the bad things. For all the bad things, you are journeying with me. You give me peace. You give me patience. You give me joy in the suffering. For all the good things in my life, it's because of your favour. It's because of your grace. It's nothing to do with my hard work. It's nothing to do with how talented or how smart I am or how rich my family is. It's nothing to do with that. It's just your favour. That's contrite spirit. What's a good spirit? It's freedom in Christ. Knowing that God is saying it's not your fault. God is saying that you may have made a mistake but don't carry the mistake all the way until you die have freedom break the chains that hold you back and god says i want to give you freedom in your spirit to worship him to just be before him in his presence to give you that joy and peace in your life and now this all sounds very good and says god I want this this morning for me. I want to be poor in spirit. I want to come before you because when I'm poor in spirit, I have the favor of God. I want to be approved by God. I want you to be pleased with me. I want you to approve me. I want your favor. I want your righteousness. I want your joy. I want your peace. How do you do that? Poor in spirit. Now, the biggest question of this morning is, how can we be poor in spirit? The wrong way, is this. How do we be poor in spirit? Because you teach, this is poor in spirit, this is poor in spirit, I must tell you how. The wrong way to be poor in spirit is, okay, to be poor in spirit, Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, I must be humble, I must be contrite. I must tremble at the word of God. Okay, so every time I open the Bible, I must shake a bit. Every time when, when someone says something to me, I must be humble. And the Chinese humble, the Japanese humble is to, is to bow. The Chinese humble is to say uh, thank you and shake hands. Maybe it's, uh, the, the white man's humble is to maybe give you a little hug. Uh, I don't know what humble is. I must, these are my checklists to be humble. When somebody swears at me, I must keep quiet. When somebody scold me, I must, I must give my other cheek. That's how to be humble. And I'm telling you, if you make that checklist, then at the end of the day, you are still striving in your own efforts to be humble. And when you actually manage to be humble, you come before God and says, God, now I'm humble. And God asks you, "Why? how do you get humble? You said, I did it all by myself. I made this checklist. And this is how I became humble. And God says, that is a statement of pride. That is not humility. That is a statement of pride. So the biggest question is, how do we be poor in spirit? How are we humble? And with this, I invite the music team up. How are we humble? And I end this sermon with the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. God starts it with this sentence, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is only one way to be poor in spirit. No other way to be poor in spirit is if we recognize our own unworthiness and we come before God and says, I am zero, you are hero. You come before God, I am nothing, you are something. You are everything when I am nothing. You come before God and you come with a repentant spirit because of the things that I've made it. I have made it all about me. But Jesus, today, I want to make it all about you. I have made my life all about what I can do for myself, my own legacy, for my family. But today, I want you to come in and I repent before you and I want to make it all about you. I want to be humble enough to bend my knee to say, sorry, God. Because the yardstick, and trust me when I tell you I'm a guy, guys, we've got ego. For, for us to bend our knee to say, I yield to you, I submit to you, it's not an easy task. Especially if you're filled with pride, just like me. One day, you'll hear my story. It's not going to be easy to bend our knee, especially for a guy. But God is saying, you cannot be blessed. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot live out the kingdom of God unless you come before me and repent and say, sorry, God, when it's all about you, I've made it all about me. You come before God and say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, because I made it all about me when it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, when I made it all about church, when it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, when I make it all about leaders, when it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, that I made everything more important when it's all about you, and it's all about you, Jesus so i'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you it's all about you jesus repentance last year we started the 90 days of repentance i was skeptical at first not just you i was skeptical at first but i did it i did it because i said god you have the authority If you say repentance is the way and you say 90 days, I will do it for 90 days. If you say 100 days, I will do it for 100 days because you have the authority, not me. So if God starts the book of Matthew and my first title of this sermon was Discipleship Starts with Repentance because we always think, Yes, Jesus, I will follow You. I will be discipled by You. I want to do what You think. We think we are so smart that we have the capability to follow Him. And God says, no, you want to follow me? The first thing you need to do is to bow your knees and repent before me and say, I am nothing, you are everything. I am zero, you are hero. Come into my life, God. Give me that strength for the journey. Teach me how to be your disciple. Teach me how to follow you. That's what I want. Teach me how to be poor in spirit. And every time you bow your knees, I believe you this, everything in your heart changes something in your life will change and it may take one month it may take one year it may take ten years but let me ask you this if it takes ten years for your breakthrough is it worth it? Yes if it takes one hundred years for your breakthrough is it worth it? Yes you know I always pray for people who are praying for pre-believer relatives and friends and I'm always saying this if you have to pray for twenty years for your cousin to be saved is it worth it? Yes it is SIB Church was started because three missionaries from Australia believed in a cause and they prayed and prayed for a decade before they saw the first conversion. They are dead now but if they're sitting right here, I'll ask is it worth it for all these people to be in this church? Is it worth it? Yes. Yes, we are here because of the sacrifice of three people but is it because of them? No, it's because of God's favour upon this church, His favour upon our country. Church, this morning I know it's a little bit after time but can you give God just five more minutes come before Him and start your discipleship journey with repentance oh Lord God we just come before you today the second service in, S- in SMCC SIBKL we come before you today and say sorry God we have a heart of repentance because we made it all about me when it's actually all about you come into my life Come and do a work in my life. Come and change me from the inside out. Come and teach me how to be humble. Teach me how to be poor in spirit. Teach me how to be contrite. Teach me how to tremble at the Word of God. Teach us, teach us this church, oh God. This is your church and we are your people and we're coming before you this morning to say that as one church in the body of Christ, be with us, be our head. Jesus Christ, you are ahead, telling us where to go. Be our head, Lord Jesus Christ, and teach us every day. Let this be the start of our discipleship journey once again. Let us be the beginning of our discipleship journey once again, Lord God. We are humbled before you. Teach us how to be humbled. Lord Jesus, And before we end, I want to crown you King of Kings in this place. I want to crown you Lord of lords, in this place. We want to enthrone you in this place. Say that this Church is all about you. My life is all about you. My family is all about you. My work is all about you. My discipleship journey is all about you. My prayer life is all about you. My fasting life is all about you. My holy life is all about you. Everything that I do is all about you. It's not about (laughs) me. I'm going to declare that you are King over my life. I'm going to give you all the authority to come in and speak to me. I will surrender my life to You because I know I can trust it in Your hands because You hold the beginning and You hold the end. You are from everlasting to everlasting and You are Lord of Lords. You are Asher Adonai, Elohim, Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise Your name and we thank You, Jehovah, Yahweh. We praise Your name in this place. So I pray, Father God, that You separate us now with Your love. You separate us now with your grace. You separate us now with your mercy, Father Lord Jesus. And may we part in this place, carrying your presence wherever we go. Let us not forget what you have done in this place in our life. May we carry it for the whole week, for the whole year. So we give you all the praise, and all the glory, and all the honour. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give God a good type offering. God bless you. The service is now over. God bless you. Continue to.